Thank you, gentlemen. Again, a warm welcome to you uh, this morning, especially those that are visiting with us, maybe for the first time. I trust and know you've been warmly received already. And for all of us, why don't you take your copy of God's Word now and turn to the book of Exodus. If you do not have God's Word with you, just look in the racks in front of you. You will see one there. The book of Exodus, which is indeed the second book of the Bible. And we are in chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. Well, Westmount, as we prepare our hearts for the text before us today, it will be very helpful to consider how we got here this morning. Now, by that, I don't mean a review of the book of Exodus or even a review of the Ten Commandments. Those have a place, likely next week, as we wrap the Ten Commandments. But that's not the preparation that is necessary for a text like this today. No, what is helpful is simply a very brief consideration of recent history. This is very important for what we're going to study And as we consider modern history, we consider the trajectory of deception. The trajectory of deception. For most of the 20th century, as recent as the 70s, I think you would agree, lying was considered scandalous. Do you remember when lying was scandalous? Absolutely scandalous. We can think of many scandals, and that were scandals precisely because of lying. So many of us uh, remember, some don't, some have heard of it, the Watergate scandal It was scandalous because of lying. In terms of public perception, the revelation of lying caused gasps. People would say, I don't believe it. Then in the last decade or two of the 20th century, we're thinking 80s and 90s, do you remember lying surprised? It caused a little blip on the Richter scale, but then it soon settled, the revelation of lying. We go to the president's office again for another really pointed example here. Remember Bill Clinton? It caused waves at first, right? But then it settled down, and and now he's a hero. Remember, public perception initially cried foul, but they soon gave a pass to deception. Then at the turn of the century, a mere 20 years ago now, listen, it seems like more when I say these things, It's just 20 years ago, the turn to the 21st century, lying became normative. Lying became common. No longer were there gasps. No longer were there initial surprises. That all disappeared. And think back, lying headlines barely registered at all. I think even just a few years ago, and again, politics is such fertile ground for this, is it not? I think in our own country just a few years ago, lying at the highest level, lie upon line coming out after or on the heels of an election. And remember, stories would break of cover-ups, of massive lies, and it was received with what? Hmm. Hmm. That's how it goes. A sigh, a shrug shoulders. And now most recently today, the attitude toward lying. Listen, scandalous days far behind us. Lying is not only embraced, today lying is promoted. And I want to give you an Exhibit A. There was so many things I could give you. That's always the challenge in a fallen world. It's a rich palette of evil that you could give. But this is just one. It didn't take me long to just find this without little digging. This is out of UC Berkeley. So we're going right to the top. 
the intellectual ivory tower of the day, UC Berkeley. They have a research publication. It's entitled this, listen to this, The Greater Good. The Greater Good. Yes, Greater Good magazine. Here's the tagline, science-based insights for a meaningful life. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Science-based insights for a meaningful life. In a research article entitled, in this magazine, this is the title, What's Good About Lying? Now, the regenerated Christian, right, the truly born-again, spirit-indwelling Christian doesn't get far beyond it and says nothing. What's good about lying? Nothing. End of story. What's the next thing we're talking about? Well, no, no, not for the intellectual elites for today. Listen to their wisdom. It starts with this. New research reveals how we learn to lie for the benefit of other people. Soon after, it defines what they call, and it just sounds good, doesn't it? Pro-social lying. Pro-social lies for the greater good. In other words, good lies. Encouraging us to get comfortable with lying. In other words, lying can promote the good of society, the good of others. And I just want to quote a few other of these pearls of man's wisdom here. This research, and I want you to note the word, this research points to one message. Sometimes lying can reveal what's best in people. I'm not making this up, folks. I'm not making it up. This is research at the highest level. Yes, the writers go on to tell us how human beings have innate good qualities, and the Christian should have dashboard lights going on, like empathy, compassion, and so on. Little children, listen to this. Little children lie at a young age because they don't want to make dad and mom feel bad. (laughs) Really? I lied when I was young, and I'm quite sure all of you did too because I didn't want to get in trouble. So you know I lied a lot because I got in a lot of trouble. The article goes on to ponder questions like this. When is it right to prioritize another person's feelings over truth? You know you're on dangerous ground here, right? When is it right to prioritize another person's feelings over truth? Then they give the infamous cooking example. You go to someone's house, it's a very nice gesture, they cook a meal and it's terrible. What are you going to say to them? Well, they say the right thing, the good moral thing, well, to say, well, that's really good. It's a really good meal. Then they say this, I quote, Indeed, there's a great deal of evidence. Now listen to the jump here. Listen to the jump. Indeed, there's a great deal of evidence that we tend to see pro-socialize, here it is, as the more moral choice. See how insidious that is? This is now about, beloved, a new morality. This is the new morality. Lying here... And I know you've heard it a lot, but we say it again because it's here, is the right thing to do. Just do the right thing and lie. Much more of the same throughout the piece, and I won't torture you with it, but I'll leave you with this one more. I quote, we may indeed teach children to lie, both implicitly with our behavior and explicitly with our words. And then listen to this. But some of those lies help to bind our families and friends together and to create feelings of trust. (laughs) Where are we, church? And don't miss this. They're telling us lies helped to create feelings about trust. Listen, at the sake of stating the obvious, I do not know the last time that I was lied to or you and it created warm feelings of trust. Never. Never does. By the way, church, this stuff doesn't just sit in an ivory tower. 
I mean, we have a light moment this morning, but I need you to know this because I love you and I love your children and I love your grandchildren. This stuff is the stuff you're seeing of gender and race. It flows down from the ivory tower. It gets into governments and listen to me. It's in the schools and it's everywhere. And I ask you this today. Is it any wonder children are confused? They're taught one morality, given this, they're confused. Gender, race, now lying? No place anymore. Listen, I want to say it publicly. There's no place anymore in the public schools. It's over. You get them out and you save your children. Examples like this, research proves the point. This is what we have come to. A completely backwards, illogical, ridiculous, and plainly evil defense of lying. Listen, to say that there can be any good in lying, we barely scratch a page of the Bible to see how ridiculous that is. To say that lying is learned in kids, and that kids are born with innately good qualities, thinking about Bill, the passage he took us to in Romans 5, gives us the anthropology we need to see. We've imputed a sin nature from Adam. He sinned, original sin, it's been imputed into our spiritual DNA David knew this in Psalm 51. He said, from the womb we're all wicked. Romans 3, Psalm 14 says, how many are good? None. There's none righteous. No, not one. And to suggest that lying fosters feeling of trust. Well, listen, friends, this is just the stuff of alternate reality, is it not? We're in a different universe at this point. What's going on here, friends? Well, precisely what God told us. This is the refreshment of God's word. It gives clarity in confusing times. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 13, listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, and then listen, deceiving and being deceived. Is that not today? And that was given 2,000 years ago, and history only confirms it. Yes, evil people, humanity moves from bad to worse, from God to godless. The movement from times where, remember, lying was scandalous. That was maybe 50 years ago. To today where lying is the new virtue. And so by lying, we love our neighbor. I'll consider all that we have just heard, if you can even bear it, as we now turn to the ninth commandment, the ninth word. The creator God has a word about lying. And we should be starving and yearning and crying out for what God has to say amidst all of that junk, right? It's not based, listen, what you're holding in your hands, what God has to say is not based on research. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on anything rooted in man at all. Praise the Lord. No, it is law. It is word. It is rooted in God himself. It flows out of his very character. More on that in a moment. For now, let's read our text for the moment, or for the morning. Look with me at verse 16 as we simply just continue in our study where we left off. Let's consider now verse 16 and the ninth commandment. Again, the ninth word from God. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Father in heaven, Lord, we consider this verse, this text, this law before us. And God, we ask that you would give us first eyes to see it. Illuminate our eyes to see, Father, what your law is telling us. Give us understanding 
Give us clarity. Help us receive it, Lord, with joyful hearts. And Lord, by your grace, may we live it. May we live according to the law, not in our own strength, of course, but by your spirit, to your glory we pray, in Christ's name, amen. You shall not, look at that. Once again, as we've seen, this is a permanent shall not, permanent negation. This is God's word declaring quite decisively, quite directly and authoritatively this, lying is sin. Very clear. And again, like the other commands we've studied recently, this word from God is straightforward and again, very direct. As such, just two headings this morning. You can note them to begin. Two headings. False witness and true witness. False witness and true witness. That's where we're going. So let's dig into this word. The Bible has so much to say. So our first heading, again, is false witness. Now, what we need to recognize as we consider false witness, as it's given here, is the language of this verse. Richness of God's word has many dimensions, but one is always language. And the language employed by God here, maybe you've caught it already, the language employed by God is legal Do you see it? This is judicial law language. The word witness there points to a testimony or a claim. Think courtroom. Courtroom. This word idea carries through the Mosaic law in various legal scenarios. You can note Numbers 3530 is one example of a law-based crime situation. And then another, which I'll read you, is found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, in fact, you can turn there with me, chapter 19, It's not too far from Exodus. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Again, we're in the law. We're in the Pentateuch. And we're going to see this language that you see in Exodus 20, verse 16. We're going to see it again here. Consider Deuteronomy 19. Let's start in verse 15. A single witness, note the word, shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he's committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, it shall be be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I trust you see there... Right As you look at it, the important weight of witness. Look at the end of verse 15 again. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Beloved, this is serious business. It has the courtroom weight. Witness is serious. One's witness. What one says is, I saw, this is what I'm presenting to you, this is what I'm testifying, before the Lord is very serious. In fact, look at it, judgment is rendered by witness. In other words, lying here has stakes, very important stakes. This is affirmed, by the way, just turn two chapters back to Deuteronomy 17. Look at this. Again, we're still in the same context of law. Deuteronomy 17, look at verse 6 and 7. On the evidence 
of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death, which we just read two chapters ahead. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. This is, again, how serious it is. The, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Do you see that same idea? But look, here we see that witness is so important, so protected, that if you're the one bearing the witness of accusation, you're the first one to strike the accused. Do you see that? In other words, you better be sure that your testimony is sure. That's how serious it is with the Lord. Now back to Exodus 20. You'll see that same word for witness. Do you see it there in verse 16? That's the exact same word we just looked at in Deuteronomy. So that's the context. Very legal. You shall not bear a false witness. By the way, that word for bear... That's the verb in this command. It means to give or provide or present. It's, it's like a hearing. In fact, if I could put it into this motif for you, it's like taking the stand. It's like taking the stand. Now, that is true in direct context of the table here, the second table that we've been working through. Indeed, this command is legal. However, at the heart of this law, like many of the other laws that we've studied, is a prohibition against lying in all contexts. And the legal context is just what you would expect at the very highest level. And here it is, not only at the highest level, but it's what you'd expect for a broad implication. What do we mean by that? What do we mean? Well, let's just consider the internal argument. I mean, it's fair to say, if lying is wrong here, legally, in a court setting, hold on to that, then it's wrong everywhere, right? Right? I mean, what kind of logic says, you know, it's wrong to do that in court, but once you leave court, have at it. That wouldn't work here, and it certainly doesn't work for our Lord. No, the reason you're in court, the reason this is at such a serious high level, is because it's wrong outside of court, and it needs to get to this point. Said another way, if lying is wrong in here, court, legally, then it must be wrong out there. And of course, we're not just saying that. The Bible gives ample, strong confirmation of that fact. And listen, lying in a variety of contexts. Leviticus, again, the Mosaic Law, in a context that's far from the courtroom. In fact, it's about neighbor. We'll come back to that. But just note Leviticus 19.11. It says, you shall not lie to one another. Proverbs, we're in wisdom literature. Proverbs 12.22 says quite generally that lying lips, listen to this, are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Consider this stated positively as you listen to the psalmist in Psalm 15. The psalmist says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? This is the one. He who walks blamelessly, and note this, and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Do you see the association with Yahweh? The truth teller. Of course, nothing changes in the New Testament. The law of Christ says this of lying. Note Ephesians 4.25, by the way, the passage we read last week. It says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Again, note that word, with his neighbor. Same law, more pointedly, note Colossians 3.9. It says, do not lie to one another. It can't be more direct. 
That's God's higher moral law affirmed in the New Covenant. But even more, as we track through the New Testament, the language gets stronger, especially as you move toward the end. Consider 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, where liars are described. But note this, not only as those that are against sound doctrine. So in other words, if you're a liar, you're against sound doctrine. But listen to what the text says. Ultimately, the liar is lawless, disobedient, ungodly, unholy, and profane. In the Bible's final book, Second Peter Jude, for example, lying is the association, is the characteristic of who? False teachers. They're liars. That's why they're false teachers. They're the liars and they're deceivers. And of course, by the time you arrive at the very end, the last book, and not only, by the way, the last book of the Bible, the last couple of chapters of the Bible, the outcome of liars is clear. Listen to this. This is narrative in the context of the eternal state. This is into eternity. Revelation 21, verse 8 It says this, describing the fact that there'll be no more sin and there's a great heritage for those that are the Lord's end, says this in verse 8, like an epilogue to eternity. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and listen to this, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And in case we missed it, the very next chapter, I mean, you're almost at the end of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 15, listen to who is outside glory. Verse 15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And then listen to this, and everyone, no exception, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They are all on the outside. So, Esman, I think it's fair to say, would you agree, that the Bible demonstrates quite conclusively and broadly how God views lying, how he views lying. By the way, one last comment on the text here. Look at it again, Exodus, verse 16. It's a command, but it contains a prepositional clause. Prepositional clause is just a clause... Uh, that it often sits beside the main body of a sentence, and it gives us a little bit more information, often location, direction. And here it says, you shall not bear false witness. It could end there, but then it says this, against your neighbor. That's a prepositional clause, against your neighbor. This is false witness lying with direct effects. It's giving us a location now on your neighbor stated. Now, maybe you're thinking this. This begs a couple of questions. Who is my neighbor? Right? Who is one's neighbor? Here, is this just a fellow Israelite? Is this someone who happens to live near you? Well, the word for neighbor, look at it there, is used in other contexts of the law to refer to people not only in the Israel community, but beyond it. We referenced already Leviticus 19, most famously. talks about neighbor being often the sojourner that comes in to the gathering from the outside. This is not just the one on your street, in other words, but the one wandering onto it from another place. This broader aspect of neighbor, of course, is confirmed later by Jesus. In Luke 10, remember this account, he's expanding on the meaning of neighbor in the law. That's because a lawyer has come up seeking to self-justify himself. You remember, and he's feeling all proud, and he says, well, who then is my neighbor? 
Who then is my neighbor? And Jesus, of course, proceeds to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan, and you know it. This is about the Jew going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, very likely a very dangerous road, and he is beat up and on the side of the road. And two men pass him, first a priest, then a Levite. So in other words, two Jews, his own people, pass him, and they tend to his wounds. No, they don't. They pass by on the other side of the road. They want nothing to do with him. But lo and behold, who is the one that stops to tend to him? It would have been to the Jew, the dreaded Samaritan. Certainly not one of our people. He stops. He takes him to the inn. He even leaves money so he can be tended to even after he leaves. And Jesus then asks the question, who proved to be a neighbor to the man? So to the self-justifying Lord, he says, who then in this account really proved to be the neighbor? Do you see how it transcends ethnicity? And of course, it's the Samaritan, the despised one. So the heart of the command here prohibits lying against, and we would say with Jesus, anyone. Period. Which brings us to the next question. Does this mean we can lie if it doesn't affect our neighbor? I'll tell you what, I know if I, in my younger days, if I had heard something like this, I'm looking for the way out, right? I'm just looking, well, it means that I can lie. It just doesn't have to affect neighbor. It would have been an indictment against my soul condition. But to answer that most obviously, we would ask this So what lie would that be that doesn't affect neighbor? A lie that doesn't affect anyone else doesn't come against, look at the text, doesn't come against anyone else. We don't have to think long or hard to realize that all lies affect neighbors, right? This is so self-evident that it hardly needs to be explained, but we would have to add any attempts to justify lying, and there it is. There's an attempt to justify lying based on a twisted rationale that it doesn't affect anyone else. Well, such fallen reasoning speaks for itself. Even more, we could add, if there was such a lie, let's play that game. If there was such a lie that doesn't affect someone else, again, not that there is, but let's supposing that there is, then the question is, why lie? Right? Why would you even lie if it's not affecting anyone You've just got the purpose of lying. That's the logical dimension, but the reality is, and here's where we need to settle, all lies do affect others. In fact, it's a lie to yourself to believe that they don't. First of all, and we need to come out with this, all lies are first and foremost sin, as we learned in Proverbs, an abomination against a holy God. Remember David in Psalm 51, do you remember all his lies to get Uriah killed, right? He doesn't say in Psalm 51, against Uriah and Uriah only have I sinned. No, he says, against who and who only have I sinned? God, he knows that. And that then brings up the question, when we think about Uriah, that all lies are false witness against neighbors. They're against sins against God first, but of course lies affect neighbors. All lies... Thus, are outward presentations. By the way, look at the preposition there again. Against, as I've stated already, it denotes position and place. That's important because you could also say it this way, before your neighbor. Not just against your neighbor. Against pulls out the legal force, but you could say semantically before your neighbor. The law of God prohibits all lying, as we've seen in all texts, and includes those beyond the courtroom. So the clause here tells us that any testimony, noted any testimony presented before another, 
Any witness that is received by neighbor, and that's key, any witness received by neighbor must not be false. You must give true witness. And that is very important, and it's a necessary point of application for us as God's people prone to wander. This means, beloved, that we do not need words to lie. We don't need words to lie. So don't fall into that trap. We can be lying against or before our neighbor by way of a false witness and like other modes of witness can convey something without words. I want you to think with me for a moment of all the witness you convey without words from silence to actions. Do they not speak so much? Sometimes silence is deafening. and Sometimes actions are overwhelming. Yes, we can bear false witness in silence. In fact, the law of God, did you know, instructs us of that. Just note this. Leviticus 5.1 tells us, again in a legal context, that it is sinful to be involved with testimony where you've seen something or heard something of consequence, yet you do not speak. Omission. The verse says such a one sinning by omission bears iniquity. So yes, in your silence, you've bared false witness. Do you see that? The wrong you keep quiet about, the silence amid sin, such holding back, that's false witness. And every time you do that, you sin against neighbor. Similarly, we can bear false witness by our actions. Now, This is the one we really need to grapple with because this is a tolerated killer. This is the witness you present before others that suggests one thing, but it's just simply not true. This includes so much more than we want to admit, but just let me give you the most obvious examples. Again, they speak for themselves. Pretending that you don't see someone because you just don't want to engage with them. You bared false witness. You sinned, and you need to repent of that. Behaving in a particular way crafting, engaging, architecting, so as to deflect someone from a given reality and you're working so hard to create an alternative reality. And often you haven't said a word, but you've been lying. Listen, let me tell you, as one that did that once, by the grace of God, standing here to say to you, that takes a lot of effort to deceive. I just want you to know, and again, I can speak of it, I wrote books about it, figuratively. It takes a lot of effort to deceive people. It's exhausting. What are they going to think? And I hope they think this. And I've got to craft this this way. I've got to post it that way. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. And by the way, while we're on that, let's make sure we cover all bases here. Because we want to be holy, right? Let's make sure we address the myriad of other tolerated false witness today. Included in this command... And again, could give you reams of verses, but let's just be very clear as it's written here. It also include this exaggeration, hyperbole, the tall tales, you know them. It's all the same. It's all going too far and it's all untrue. Don't exaggerate. What about empty promises? Again, the hasty words. You see the overlap with the third command. Listen, hasty words, as we learned, are unthought and every time untrue. What about hypocrisy? Intended or not, to say one thing and do another is quite simply false witness. By the way, there's no tears for lying. 
white lives versus black lives or others. In fact, as I say that, I wonder if I'll get canceled for, for saying that, but all lying is false witness. All lying is false witness. There are no tears of lying. There's no lesser white lies. Those ones are okay. Listen, all lying is sin and false witness. Christian, look, I think we understand. Bearing false witness is lying in all its stripes. Now listen, we cover that because this is the nature of the world today. Do we agree? This is our lying world. But it's not now for you. You have a new nature. You are a new creation, right? Christian, as such, you now walk differently. Ephesians 4, your witness is different. And that's our next heading. We've looked at false witness. Now let's be encouraged by true witness. And we need to back up for a moment and simply remind ourselves of key truths here. Christian, I want you to consider this question. Why is it different for you? Why is it different for you? Or what about this? Why is your walk or should your walk and practice be different? I hope it is, but why should it be? Because you were once in darkness. Do you remember that? I do. You once walked in darkness. I remember it, walking by the tone of deception. But that's no longer who you are. Let's take us back to what Jerry reminded us in Ephesians 2. I I want you to listen with fresh ears. This is not who you are, Christian. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the course of this lying world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, remember Romans 5? By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, like everyone else it seems today. We were liars. Verse 4, but God... Praise the Lord. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, Christian, for by grace, Christian, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And don't miss verse 10. Here's the implication, if that's true of you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that what? We should walk in them. Praise the Lord. That's you, Christian. That's not who you are. You don't walk in lies. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That is who you are now. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower, a Christ conformer. And as one redeemed by Christ, we should, as Ephesians says, walk in his ways. And thus, that is the true witness of life in Christ. That's your witness 
to live according to Christ by his true witness. And this flows, listen, beloved, not from good intentions or social constructions that sound really good or fanciful definitions. Beloved, no, this true witness flows directly from the one that purchased you. And this is so encouraging. This true witness is the character and nature of our God himself. Just note a few of these. Jeremiah 10.10 calls him who? The true God. The true God. Titus 1.2 calls him the God who never lies, or quite literally we would say the unlying God. That's your God. The unlying God. 1 John 1.5, John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. By light, by the way, John means truth. This is made clear in the next verse. Verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See that? See the point? We do have fellowship with Jesus. And as such, walking in darkness just simply does not jive with who you are. Christian, that's not who you are. We don't lie and we do practice truth. Later in the same letter, by the way, John caps that great reality with this, 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Then listen to this. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Church, we are in in him and he is true that is union with that is identity in christ he is the true witness and church that has implications for all of us that would claim christ as lord and what you cannot leave without understanding is this and i pray if there's one thing you take away he is your witness jesus christ is your witness You, thus, if you're in him and have union with him, you bear witness of Jesus. When you leave this place, you bear witness of Christ. You're his ambassador. You testify to him and you walk in him. That means we examine our walk and root out anything false. Beloved, we mortify it. Any hint of deception, any desire... Deep down, old man, carnal, impulsive, to deceive, to make people think something different, to bear false witness, we mortify it, we kill it. And here's the encouragement. If you're in Christ, you can. Remember the thief? Was there hope for the thief? Not only did he stop stealing, he did what? He was working with his own hands, and then lo and behold, what's he doing? He's doling out his provision to others. So to you. So to you with false witness. Live and walk in the true witness. And beloved, it is true, and I can tell you firsthand, true witness means diligent. Being diligent. True witness in Christ means no stones unturned. Listen, living a life of true witness takes effort. You'll have your moments, but you go there because Christ is true, and in him there is no darkness at all. And such, we're going to end very practically today. I hope this is helpful for you. I want to give you helps for your walks. We have a variety of walks in here. I'm very mindful of that as we think about false witness and true witness. So just some helps. First, I want to address parents. Raising children. Do not lie to your children or promote lying. 
you would say, and rightfully so, maybe, you would say, I don't lie to them, and I don't encourage them to lie, so that wouldn't be me. Again, I want to be very direct this morning. Do you promote fictitious seasonal characters that bring loose change or gifts? One day, it will not be cute to your kids. One day, they will do like I did, and you will look at your parents and say, you lied. You lied to me. In fact, through all the warm, fuzzy feelings, all the goodness I associated with that red suit, you lied to me. Now, they maybe won't be as dramatic as I am with what I did with my parents, but often deep inside they're feeling that. Well, they lied to me. And do not tell little Jack or little Jill to tell Uncle Bobby how nice the new neon polka dot socks are. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, tell them to say thank you. That's godly. But don't tell them to do something that's not true. If they don't like it, don't make them say it. Second, children to you. And I was a child once, some would say, still am. Tell the truth no matter what. No matter what. You hear a lot about safety these days. And I resist the digression. There is no greater safety for anyone than truth. The straightest distance between two points is what? A straight line. I think I just messed that one up, but you understand. Listen, here's the point. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Of course, the Bible does say, Numbers 32, be sure your sins will find you out. Christian, we know that, sometimes painfully. But I speak here for all parents, to you children. You have nothing to fear when you tell the truth. Believe me. Yes, consequences hurt. I have bared many consequences. And they hurt and they sting. But listen, you sleep like a baby. Your conscience is clear. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. It's good. It's good for you. And it's what God would have you do. Don't lie. Listen, and I would say this now to all of us because we're all children. The world gives us enough lies these days, doesn't it? Do you want to add to that with false witness? No. Tell the truth. Remember who you are. And by the way, lying makes it worse. Again, I could waste the rest of the morning talking about that too. Lying just makes it worse. Even more than that, lying is sin, as we've said. It is evil behavior, and here it is. This is a matter of association. Evil behavior that associates you with who? The devil. What did Dave read for us today? John 8. Who is the father of all lies? Say, do you want that association? Every time we lie, every time you lie, do you know you align yourself with Satan? And and I hope this is a helpful visual. You can hate me if you want. It's very helpful. Every time you say, I'm going to craft this in my silence, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make someone think this, I'm tempted to lie, you say, you know what, God? I'm switching teams. I'm going to play for Satan. In this moment, you can give me a pass on I'm just going to play for Satan right now. You don't want that, right? Every time you lie, you align yourself, John 8, with Satan. Third, and this is again for all of us, do not only tell the truth, but listen, foster truth-telling. Foster truth-telling. What do we mean? It means a number of things. For one, model it. 
pass it on, live truth. It, it astounds me, not just in the counseling that we've done, but just looking at humanity and even my own experience, how much this is modeled by society and parents and people. I mean, lying is just so woven into so much of what we do, and I've already commented on some of that. No, live truth, pass it on. Also, it means creating a gracious environment for truth-telling. And we'd say this, how do you respond when someone confesses to you? Do you lose it? You've just found out something, and do you lose it? Do you lose sight of the fact that they just actually came forward and told you the truth? I know of far too many examples of kids and husbands and wives that are afraid to tell the truth because of the response they think they're going to get. Listen to me, so we're clear. It doesn't mean that they're off the hook. They will still answer to the Lord, right? 2 Corinthians 5. However, you can facilitate their holiness and foster their confession with grace. And by the way, speaking of modeling, who modeled that for us? In Luke 19, you have that account of Jesus just giving it to Zacchaeus, right? He just chewed him out. I can't believe, no. What did he, he left that house doing what? Joyful. He said, salvation has come to this house today. Zacchaeus, with his godly sorrow, gave back four times. Or what about that account in John 21? You know, Jesus just lambasting Peter on the shore, just giving it to him. I can't believe you denied. No. What did he do? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And you know what he did? He commissioned him. Because that was godly sorrow. You only need to read the two words. Peter wept, and you know, it was godly sorrow. Jesus affirms and commissions. Listen, the godly sorrow of those confessing and repenting is often enough. Like Jesus, extend grace, not minimizing the false witness, but receive their repentance, encourage them to make it right, to make amends, and then help them to walk in the true witness of the one who is ever true, the true witness, Jesus Christ. Finally, and this may be for you, reject the lies. Reject them. Beloved, don't give lies any accommodation. I'm sure I've talked to some of you about this. It seems to be the lament and cry these days. Think critically about what you're being told. More so, think biblically. Filter everything from relative to coworker to news anchor, anyone. Filter it through the word of God and reject the lies. Reject the lies. Listen to me. False witness is everywhere today. It's everywhere. Lying, remember, off the top, is the standard. And again, I hardly need to give you evidence. However, there are pandemic lies. That it is better, and we know these, to be apart. Or that there's ultimate or final safety in needles. That that's just all I need. And everything is going to be okay. It's a lie. There are people lies that you're on the hook for crimes centuries ago. It's a lie. You're not. Ezekiel 18, the sin you commit with your hands, you are on the hook for that. Not a sin 200 years ago. There are popular lies that criminals are victims. Or how about this one? Everyone's a victim. Everybody. We're all victims. And they're positional lies. Like the ones all over the article we started with. Lies that say lying is for the greater good or that there is good in all of us. 
Those are lies that don't even stand up to a second of honest thinking, let alone the evidence. And more, those are lies that don't stand a chance, if that, to the word of God. And the God of the word, the God of all that is true. So, beloved, we reject lies. We reject them. And maybe today you've bought the lie, one of them, it's one of the oldest lies in the book. Not this book, but there's evidences of people trying to get away with this lie. You see it in a certain rich young ruler. You see it in many others in these pages. And it's this. I am going to be okay in the end. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, not, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. The lie that says there are people worse than me. And you know... That's right. I read articles like that that says there's this intrinsic compassion in me wanting to do good. That Yeah, I really did just lie because I don't want mom and dad to feel bad. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. And I'm going to be okay. I'm really going to be okay. Remember, that's a lie. And the book says no liar will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the book says. That's what the author of life says. No liar will inherit the kingdom of God. No one who lies will be okay. No, the only way to be okay and to be reconciled to the Father and to eternity is through the Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to his words. We end with those. John 14, 6, you know them. And now we live them. Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He's not just a truth. He's not a relative truth. You've heard relatives and friends say, well, I'm glad church and Jesus work for you. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the truth. There is no other truth. There is no greater good. There is no corporate morality. It's Jesus And anyone having an honest confrontation with Jesus needs to answer this question. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? As has been famously said, he's either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he is Lord. And I've said much about that that's been given to us. We know he is Lord, but do you? Will you repent of lies and receive the truth? Will you repent today? And receive truth. Only Christ, Lord, is ever faithful and ever true. He's the only one. Only he is the truth for eternal life. Not you. He. Do you repent and place your faith and trust in him alone? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you are indeed the truth. And Lord, we thank you with words that are inexpressible that you would look on us, as we were reminded earlier, while yet sinners, and redeem and purchase us. You would look on false witness and redeem with true witness. God, we rejoice, and all we can do now is sing. We can just sing to give you the glory you're due, to take wretches like us and make them holy and to join you in eternity. Praise be to God. Amen.